0: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, here with you guys. And today, me and Josh Marlowe are here to recap the Toriels' first win of the 2022 season. A win against the Florida AM Rattlers, 56-24 to in Keenan Stadium to kick off the 2022 season. And uh, it feels good. We we said this, uh, you know, just talking pre-show. It feels good to be back and be able to, you know, being able to talk about actual games that have happened. You know, we've seen the speculation. We've gone over it multiple times here, and uh, I I think you know both of us were really excited to get to the point of playing games because again, we've talked about it so much this off-season. The talking needs to stop. It's time to actually produce on the field. And look, Carolina had their bumps and bruises. We'll talk about that uh, here throughout this edition of the podcast. But it just felt good to have football back. And, uh, you know, it I, it was weird for sure playing on week zero. This is the earliest that Carolina's played a game uh, since they played Oklahoma back in 2001 on August 25th. Um, so yeah this is this is unprecedented territory for a lot of us but uh I, I thought it was uh it was pretty exciting to be back uh, the other night even though you know it probably wasn't the most comfortable game uh, that we were hoping
1: for. yeah, no it was a great crowd in Keenan Stadium on Saturday night to watch the Tar Heels take on an FCS opponent that was severely undermanned. I um, mean we talked about the importance of the game going in was to to really get answers. And figure out a little bit about ourselves where we go to Ab State this weekend, which is is going to be one of the tougher road games we play all season long. And um, I, I do think Carolina took a step in answering some of those questions. And then there are some areas on this football team, primarily on the defensive side of the football, where we still got to you know find some you know find the answers that we're looking for. But um, it's good to have football back in Chapel Hill. Um, because this this is a big season for the future of this program. Um, if, if if they don't produce at the level that they should produce at in year four under Mac Brown, there could be some changes made, and there may be some changes that need to be made. Um, but if this team does respond and perform up to the level of expectation and, and, and talent, which aren't severely high as they were last year, and we can just come out of this year feeling confident about the direction and future of the program, that's all that really matters. And I do think after Saturday, seeing Drake May, did what he did on the football field, we know Carolina's got a quarterback. And the last time we had a quarterback, we felt pretty good about that direction with Sam Howell, and we did a, we did a lot of good things with him. So, um, you know, now it's about learning from what we, you know, what we, did, what we did wrong, growing and expanding on things we did right and get ready for what's going to be a, a big-time test this weekend at the Rock in Boone.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I thought there were some good things that Carolina did, as you mentioned, primarily on the offensive side. But there were a couple guys that stuck out on the defensive side that we'll talk about here. Um, but, hey, let's you know do what we did last year for these games. Let's take a look at the box score to sort of get you guys kicked off here with our recap uh, to this game. And Carolina, in this game, 608 yards of total offense, 314 of those on the ground Uh, And, you know, a a really good night for the group of running backs. We saw all five guys at one point for Carolina and uh, a lot of guys with plenty of success, 7.9 yards per carry, three rushing touchdowns. You got to like what you saw there. Uh, Passing yards, 294 on 29 of 38 completions uh, for the two quarterbacks, a completion percentage of 76%, 5 Total touchdowns in the game, passing, of course, all five of those coming from Drake May. Um, and and at Carolina, I think, just overall, offensively, extremely efficient. And those numbers kind of show you uh, wh- wh- where Carolina was at in terms mm-hmm. of the turnovers. Um, Carolina, you know, no turnovers for them. Two for Florida A and M. Uh, and if you look at Florida A and M, three hundred and thirty-five yards of total offense. Only 56 of those, though, came on the ground. They held the Rattlers to 2.1 yards per carry, but 279 passing yards through the air, a majority of which really came in that first half. Um, On 28 of 39, uh, that's a 72% completion percentage, which we thought was a little little too easy, maybe. Um, Carolina did hold the edge in sacks, though. Three quarterback sacks they did not allow. A quarterback sack. I cannot remember the last time that, that that actually happened. So Carolina did a tremendous job with that. And then the other area that I thought Carolina did an outstanding job in, and it, it, you know, again, it, it's first game of the season, so it, it could become. It, there's always a chance it could become an issue later on down the line. This team had five penalties the entire night. Um, and I thought i I thought the one on Ed Mont- on on Ed Montalus was a terrible call. I thought that was him just blocking a guy into the ground. I thought that was a pancake block. Um, uh, but they didn't see it that way. Um, but five penalties for forty five yards, that is a major improvement for a team last year that averaged over seven per game averaged nearly 70 penalty yards per game, and that was a big part of where Carolina struggled. Eight penalties on the other side for Florida A&M for 48 yards. Carolina on third down, 7 of 12. Uh, Florida A&M though had their success as well. They were 5 for 13, also 2 for 2 on fourth downs for the Radlers. Carolina 2 of 3. So both teams really having their success uh, on the crucial downs. So overall... You know, I think there are a lot of storylines that stick out. But let's start with the positive ones. And let's start with the quarterback position. You know, heading into the game, there was still kind of some uncertainty. There were a lot of people that I saw. I think me and you kind of both thought, look, they're going to give Drake May a legitimate shot here. But I think a lot of people thought that Drake May, after that first drive where he struggled, there were probably people at home thinking, we're going to see Jacoby Criswell in this next drive. We knew going in, just from what Mac Brown had said, that probably wasn't going to be the plan. They were going to give Drake May a little bit of time to settle in, and I think it worked out perfect because this is about as good of a first performance as you can ask for. And again, you can look at who the opponent is, and you can say that's the reason that he was able to have so much success. But if you look at the level of play from Drake May, I, I don't know how you could take anything else away from it other than that this guy looks the part of a starting quarterback in the ACC and, and has a chance to be a really good player.
1: Yeah, no, um, I I, I was really impressed. Um, It did seem like that, that long scamper run really got him settled. You know, I think it was two plays later they were in the end zone for the first touchdown, and after that it was kind of off to the races. And I think you saw on Saturday night – why he won the job? He was poised in the pocket, um, even though there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on him. Even when you know you you look at the play on the fourth down where Carolina went for it, he had to make something out of nothing. Was able was able to find Gavin Blackwell in the end zone for a touchdown.
0: What an by the way, one of the things that always stood out to me about Gavin Blackwell in high school. Did you see the film? Of that, somebody reposted it. I believe it is uh, Ryan Murphy, who's a guy that has his own blog site or whatever. He posted a video sort of focusing on the route that Gavin Blackwell ran. Well, I mean, a- outstanding cut to get himself open. I mean, that's a guy that fits what Phil Longo wants in his receivers. So a lot of credit due to him. But a great job, as you said, by Drake May extending it out. And and you, you were watching it at home as well. Did you hear... Did you hear the, ad, the the comparison that they made, Tim Hasselback made? Uh, he compared him to Patrick Mahomes on that play. Okay. Which, they were, which uh, Carolina football, of course, ran with on the social medias, but uh, some special stuff, no doubt about it.
1: You know, and there's I, – I may have expressed this take on here, and I really went public with it today at at the station. There's reason to believe that Drake May could – Challenge if not exceed some of the stuff Sam Howell did here, um and 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 when he's done yeah. be and be oh, yeah. the best quarterback to ever play football for for Carolina, and you saw reasons why that could be a, a possibility. His deep ball may not be as good as Sam's, but his intermediate stuff, um I I think uh, I when they were both playing their freshman year far more advanced, and his ability I thought he went through his progressions really really quick. Now, part of that was he had a lot of time to go through them, but um, he was able to spread the ball around and he was able to get multiple guys involved. And you know that that may have been by design, but also that was just him processing what he was seeing and stuff like that. And uh, he's he's going to be a special player. He's going to be a big time player for us. Um, and it was really glad to see that the coaching staff didn't overreact when he had a slow start, mm-hmm. just let him find himself, get settled into playing You know, at, at his dad's alma mater where his brother won a national championship on the basketball court. Once he kind of got through those initial emotions and he started playing football, you could see why Nick Saban wanted him to go to Alabama and play for him, you, and you could see why whenever uh, he flipped his commitment to Carolina – it was such a big deal because he has superstar potential written all over him.
0: Yeah, and Mack Brown pretty much said it in the press conference after the game. He said, "Look, there, there was a reason that we were staying on this kid. That when he committed to Alabama, we said, look, you he he told them right out, I'm going to keep com- to keep recruiting you because this is the place that you should be." And, you know, it worked out for Carolina. And yeah, I mean, there is reason to believe that he could become a better quarterback than than Sam Howell was. And look, that's no slight to Sam Howell; that would be more of a compliment to Drake May. And I think you saw some special things, as you mentioned. One of the things I saw from him immediately the other night that I remember from watching him when he was at and playing at the high school level was that field vision—a guy that sees everything to be able to spread the ball around. He doesn't – he's not a guy that gets locked in on specific receivers. And, you know, people immediately started accusing Sam of that with Josh Downs a year ago and everything like that. And, look, I mean, was that something that happened a year ago? Yes. Did Sam have the weapons that Drake May is probably going to have this season? No. A lot of these guys are the same weapons, and they are they have a year of experience more Uh, not to mention the fact that Sam was part of the reason that some of these guys progressed. So I think that's a little hasty to sort of criticize Sam for that, but this is what Drake does. He's a guy that can spread it around to every level of the field. He can make just about any throw, and that's what you were hoping to see from him. I thought, what was one of the keys to the game that we laid out? It was getting... Drake into a rhythm, getting him comfortable enough to go up to Boone. I feel like, at least in my opinion, he very clearly did that. They did a good job of getting him to that that state, heading on the road to Boone next
1: weekend. Yes, yeah, no doubt. And I think um, you know, that was the big thing was you wanted to find answers to figure out what works, what doesn't work with him. And I do think now when you're actually having to put together – a real game plan for a real opponent in a real atmosphere. You now have some things you can go back to and say this we like this or we don't like this and that's going to be mm-hmm. a that's going to be a big thing because you know this team's going to face adversity on Saturday. That's why I didn't have you know that's why they played this game because they knew with how young they are they wanted to have at least something under the belt going into the, the test on Saturday and um, at least they know going in their quarterback will be confident in, 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 in his ability to make plays on the field.
0: Yeah, and he, uh, he is coming off a historic performance. Uh, with his performance the other night, 297 yards passing, five touchdowns on 29 of 37 passing. He became the first quarterback to throw for five touchdowns in his first career start in program history. And just the second quarterback in the past 15 seasons to throw for five touchdowns and complete 75% of his passes in their first career start. The other guy to do that was Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Jameis Winston for Florida State back in 2013. So this
1: is Heisman confirmed. Okay. So
0: this, so, so, I, I mean, look, again, that's not exactly what we're saying. I mean, do do I, you know, are we already working behind the scenes to get somebody to photoshop his face into him holding the Heisman trophy possibly and I may be looking to turn that into a fat head, but um You already got one of those. I, yeah, you. <laughs> so, but but I think it's hard to leave this game not encouraged even with the opponent. Well, there's another guy that you should leave this game pretty encouraged with really two guys. And it's those freshman running backs. We talk so much about the potential that these guys had. And I got to tell you, I know it was, again, everybody's going to look at the opponent, but this is a legitimate team that last year won nine games at the FCS level. For these two freshman running backs to come out and play as well as they did while your starting running back kind of struggled in this game, I thought was really telling. Amari and Hampton – uh, 14 carries, 101 yards, and two touchdowns. Led the Tar Heels in all three of those major categories. George Petaway did find the end zone uh, as well. Four carries, 51 yards, and that touchdown. I thought both of these guys were really outstanding in this game on Saturday and sort of showed you what we th- what we think their ceiling could be in, in in the next few years.
1: This might be a slight overreaction. I think Omari and Handa should be this team started running back starting this Saturday. I don't think that's an overreaction at all. I mean, this is just a guy that the second that he, walk, that he walked on the field, I'm not going to say he breathed life into the offense, but you can see why he was raved about. The 14 rushes, 101 yards, two tutties, 7.2 average. And he, he kind give of you, gives you Javante Williams' vibe because he ran through people. He's a very physical runner. You add that with George Petaway on, on his on his long touchdown run, that cut reminiscent of Michael Carter. You saw why both those two dudes were compared to him. And, um, look, they may be young, they may be inexperienced, but they're football players. And I thought the best thing they were able to do on Saturday was when they got in between the lines – the inexperience didn't matter. None of that. They just they they lined up. I thought Phil Longo put them in positions to be successful. Utilized the, the the majority of their talent, and and you saw what there is to be what what there is to like from them. I thought Elijah Green added a nice little pop as well. Yep. I I love the depth of the running back room, and they're gonna need it because you know running backs do take a beating. But like I, I think you gotta rotate with some some form of fashion of Hampton, Petaway, and then whoever that third back is, whether you just go with that being Elijah Green or you do a mixture of DJ Jones and Caleb Hood, I, I, I don't want to, I don't wanna see five different guys on the field this Saturday, but I do feel like they have a plethora of options, but no doubt about it. Those two freshman running backs they they showed that they're worthy of the hype they got entering the season.
0: Well, the thing that surprised me the most I thought about Hampton is one of the things that guys always struggle with when they come in as freshman running backs is being decisive. You're overthinking. That's not what we saw at all from Hampton. He was extremely decisive, picked his holes perfectly, and, I mean, as you said, as physical as he can get. And look, here's the thing about him – you got to remember that he only came in in the summer, so he didn't even go through the weight program. When he does, he's gonna he's he's only going to get better. And Phil Longo said in his press conference today that he reminds him of a freshman Javante Williams. You remember how good Javante Williams was at the end of that freshman season, primarily in that game against NC State. Which, it, when you look back on it, and you look at how bad Cade Fortin actually performed in that game do you know partially to the weather you, you really look back and say Javante Williams was the reason Carolina had a shot in that game cuz of mm. how physically he ran and that is the type of running back that you're already seeing in Amari and Hampton right out of the gate petaway the thing that's so great about petaway you know we saw him the other night he only he only got the four carries he had one reception it was for negative yardage this dude can legitimately split out and play in the slot he did, it, he did it multiple times throughout the entire week down at the Under Armour All-American game. He did it in practices, and he did it in the game. And this dude can catch. So there are so many different things that you can do with him. I agree. I think they're going to have to thin out the backfield rotation at some point. But, man, it's going to be tough because I think all these guys have kind of earned some carries. I mean, look, I, I thought – Caleb Hood, it shocked me that when we went back and looked at the end of the night, he only had four carries for 11 yards because it looked like he produced a little bit more than that. Elijah Green was great late in the game. The thing that I will say is I think it was very telling that you didn't see him until that final drive. Um, and I'm hoping that that's not you know an indication of where he's at on the depth chart, but it possibly could be. But I, I'm with you. I think you know people might have been a little concerned about this backfield with the loss of British Brooks. And look, there probably will still be games where you're going to miss having that veteran presence in the backfield. But man, these two freshmen are just just as special as we thought that they were going to be. Um, and it's, it is it is extremely exciting to think about what the prospects could be for these guys. I mean, look, I said both of them could go over 500 yards rushing on the ground this season. Mm-hmm. Um, If they play like this, this could be a freshman duo that could challenge 800, even 1,000 yards if they play this way. Because look at Petaway. He did that on four carries. That dude, the speed that he has – He is special. And look, just one last tidbit here on Amari and Hampton, how special his game was. Ran for 101 yards. He became the first Tar Heel freshman running back to run for 100-plus yards in their first game since program legend Charlie Choo Choo Justice did so back in 1946. Not bad. That's not bad considering the lineage of running backs that Carolina has had come through since that time. So, again, look, those stats, That they don't ultimately mean much if you don't eventually back them up. But these are two guys that, look, there is real reason to be excited about what these guys can do. One of the other areas that really stood out offensively, the tight ends. And, you know, this was an area that we kind of highlighted when we talked about the tight ends in the offensive preview and you know when we were right when when i was writing about them we've heard for years really even since the first year that they were here but primarily these last 2 years we heard we want to get the tight ends more involved in this offense and you know it seemed like carolina was sort of building up that tight end room well now this tight end room is built to roll two, three guys out on every play if they need to. And we saw that on Saturday night. Uh, Bryson Nesbitt was outstanding. Four catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown. Led the team in receiving for most of the night until Josh Downs caught that seam pattern down the middle of the field uh, after Carolina's fumble recovery for his second touchdown of the night. And, you know, Kamari Morales opened the scoring Another good route down the middle of the field, down the seam. Uh, And you saw John Copenhaver. He had the longest reception of the entire night from anybody. Mm. 33-yard reception for Copenhaver. And he had a chance to catch a touchdown that he dropped in the back of the end zone. So, these guys, I, I thought they looked outstanding. We have heard so much talk about that. Very similar to the defensive line. We've heard a lot of talk about these guys breaking out. Well, this unit, they certainly did that. And it was very comforting for Carolina a team that needs these guys to step up while they're still, you know, trying to figure some things out with those other receivers.
1: Well, I mean, look, the next evolution of this offense is getting those type of guys involved. And look, they haven't had to rely on their tight ends cuz you've had Deami Brown, Daz Newsome, Josh Downs. And while you still have Josh Downs, you've got other questions in that wide receiver room that you got to you got to get answered. But you've got capable tight ends, and I don't think it was an accident that the first two touchdown passes were to tight ends and a Kamari Camar- Morales and then Bryson Nesbitt, who also, by the way, finished second on the team in receiving yards, a good start to my campaign of the bowl prediction. Did you, by the way, too busy
0: looking in your phone probably, you didn't hear the fact that I said he led the team in receiving most of the night until Josh Downs' touchdown.
1: Yeah, no, I, I caught that. I'm just saying he finished second. And that's a good way to start the campaign of, of that bold prediction being the second leading receiver, you know, on the team this season.
0: Andre Green Jr. did not catch a single pass.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that's that was what I'm I was trying to make hope. was that my bold prediction off to a great start. Of course. And But I don't think it's an accident that those were the two guys he targeted. No. Nesbitt touched him a little bit easier, busted coverage. And he was just standing wide open at the two-yard line when Drake May found him. Yeah, but you take what the defense gives you, and and, and that's what Drake May does. So, so I I think you're going to see, I think they're going to be targeted more. I think it'll be a situational usage where they will have certain stuff drawn up mm-hmm. for both of those guys. Um, and then you mentioned what Copenhaver did. Um, you know with the, with the long pass catch down, down the left sideline and stuff like that. So they've got three guys that they can use in a lot of different ways in the passing game, in the run game with their blocking and stuff like that. So I was really encouraged to see that element of the offense on display um, because we thought we were going to see it last year, and we saw it somewhat in the Virginia Tech game, and then when they just kind of had to scrap it because they needed to go try to win the game, they really got away from it. Um, so I do think there's a sense of commitment to getting those guys involved, and they showed why on Saturday they are all capable of helping this team in more ways than one.
0: Well, and the, and the most encouraging thing, too, was that these guys were able to make plays down the field. It wasn't just short dump-offs and they have to do something after the catch. These were guys that were showing off the fact that they are receivers, that they can get themselves open. And, yeah, with a guy like Drake May who – as I mentioned earlier, has great field vision and can really see everything, I think these guys are going to be more involved. He has a connection with Bryson Nesbitt. He played with him a lot when uh, they went through seven-on-seven camps and everything like that. So that connection is already established. I, I, I mean, I think that these it, there is a legitimate chance that these tight ends are all three of these guys will be heavily involved at some point this season, and I, I don't think it's any accident. I think this is the best receiving group of tight ends that Carolina has had in a long, long time. Probably got to go back to the Ebron days, and really, even back then, it was one guy. It was and you Eric know me. Ebron. I love a good tight end. Of course you do. Of course you do. And you know, I know you. You're going to make that joke every single episode <laughs> of this podcast. Well, one thing that was a little bit of a joke last year, but wasn't really a joke so much on Saturday was the offensive line play. Carolina did not allow a sack, as we said. I will, I may read that stat off for a week straight. That is the most unprecedented thing with how rough that offensive line looked a year ago. But, man, what a difference a year makes for this group. I thought they did a tremendous job. And, look, Drake May deserves some credit as well for getting the ball out a little bit quicker than Sam Howell did at times a year ago. But man, that offensive line, just there wasn't the immediate pressure that you saw at times last year on the quarterback. There were times last year where literally within two or three seconds, there was a man right in the face of your quarterback for three, four, five straight plays. You did not see that at all on Saturday night. And look, part of that is that... The, the, the team on the other side, they didn't have their best pass rusher, one of the best pass rushers in the country. We talked about him in the preview before we knew that he was going to be ineligible. Isaiah Land being out was a big blow for Florida A&M's defensive front, but at the same time, I thought Carolina simply dominated in pass protection. The one area that I want to see them get a little bit better from this first game was run blocking, primarily on the interior of that offensive line. But I thought they wore this group down as the night went along. I noticed a pretty good amount of rotation in there as well. You saw uh, William Barnes and Jonathan Adorno in there at times. I thought Spencer Rowland looked pretty good at right tackle. Um, And you saw the guys on that left side and in the center that needed to dominate, dominate. Corey Gaynor, first first drive of the game, he planted someone into the ground. And they showed him, they highlighted him on the sideline, really getting, you know, talking back and forth with the coaches, trying to get his team, you know, ready to go. And that's something that you shouldn't take lightly. This is a dude that transferred in before the season and was named a team captain. Carolina only has three team captains this year. One on offense, one on defense, one on special teams. And a transfer center is your captain on the offensive side of the ball. I thought you saw better leadership from this group overall. And I'm, I'm pretty encouraged. There's areas where they still have to improve, no doubt about it. But I think there's reason to... Feel hopeful about what this group can do.
1: Did you mention they did not give up a sack
0: on Saturday? They did not give up a sack. Did I mean just unprecedented?
1: Um, and, and look, that's what happens when you when you play to the talent that exists in that group. You actually have a, a quality offensive line coach. Um, you know, there's a lot of experience in that room now, and the, and the guys that that are behind all you know all the, the the seniors, they're they're just equally as talented, if not more gifted. they you know. I think it's a big thing is that there won't be a drop off when you're rotating guys in and out. They didn't get the massive push in the running game that you wanted to see early on, but I think it's going to be an offensive line that just wears people out. Mm-hmm. And by the third or fourth quarter, you know they have just they have imposed their will so much that you've made the defensive line quit. It's kind of going to be what we've seen offensive lines do to our defensive line the last couple of years, where it's not anything fancy, anything special they just kick your ass. And I think that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be pretty. They're not going to be sexy, but by that third or fourth quarter, they're going to they're going to break your will and then you'll be able to just hand the ball off to Hampton Petaway, your stable of running backs and just and, and and just gas teams and if Carolina can do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that like even as great as as Carter and Williams were. There were, there were some games we were still playing from behind and we were having to catch up. We could never really just run the ball at people. If we could run the ball at people with this table of running backs, it's going to make the, the, the life so much easier for Drake May, and it'll really open up this offense even more. And as I've said for now four years, it's a run first offense. And so if they can just literally line up and run the ball at people in the second half... They can really start doing some big time things, and I'm assuming they'll, you know, we'll learn a lot about this group on Saturday. Yep, because that environment is going to be one of the raucous environments they're they're in all season long. App State's no pushover. They've got, I'm not going to say they've got ACC talent, but they've got talent, and 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 they're not going to be afraid to come after our guys. So, um, it was a good step in the right direction. We learned a lot about them, Corey Gainer. That was awesome seeing them on the sidelines with that, that, that leadership, that emotion, because we've lacked that. And hopefully they can build off this performance going into this week.
0: And, look, I'm not worried about it because I thought at times last year you saw that offensive line that we talked about struggling so much. We saw them dominate opponents and wear teams down as the games went along, primarily the Virginia game. We saw it against Georgia State. And we saw it late in the year in the win over Wake Forest. You saw an offensive line that we did not think was coached very well, was not as deep as this unit was, simply wear people down. And I think that with this unit, and you gotta think there's gonna be guys that are going to continue to progress as the season goes along that will make this unit even deeper. That's the thing that's so exciting about this group. And yeah, this this was a promising start for them. And I'm interested to see. You're right. It's a step up in competition next week. You're going from an FCS defensive line to a group of five defensive line and one of the better ones at that. I think if they can continue to progress, then you should feel really encouraged about where this team is going to be at when you face that one of your toughest tests of the year. Even though they're not as known – As they've been in the past, when you play Notre Dame in Keenan on September 24th, your offensive line had better be ready to go. And I think there's reason to think after this first game, and it's hard not to overreact, but there's reason to believe that they are in a good spot to do that, a much better spot than they were a year ago. All right, so now let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. And and the thing that I you always want to preface with this and I and Mac Brown said this at the end of the game and it's it's he is right about that that there are some things you cannot overreact to the first game with certain things especially tackling considering that you don't tackle in practice that that doesn't exist anymore cuz you're trying your best to keep everybody healthy we saw Carolina I mean they lost two guys in practice um, and, and, I mean, look, they do they do tackle a little bit, but it's not nearly as physical as it has been in years past. Um, and, and I think that that is something that has been very noticeable. It was noticeable for a lot of the other games that you watched as well. If you watched any of the Nebraska-Northwestern game, you didn't see much defense in that game either. Um, so I, I don't know if you can take everything that we saw the other night and say this is exactly what this defense is going to be but there were some legitimate concerns the other night um you know I thought and and look you may look at the stat sheet and I've seen a lot of people bring this up well this team allowed 56 rushing yards to Florida am uh they did have you know some pretty good talent there AJ Davis is a a, a guy that uh, did play for Pittsburgh the last few years um we you know thought that he would probably see more snaps than he did Um, Six carries, 10 yards. Carolina held him in check. Um, But I thought, you know, this was a unit that just did not get consistent push up front. And that was the issue a year ago. We'll have to see if that changes as the year goes along. But that was concerning to me that that seemed to be an issue once again in this game against an offensive line that came into the game extremely shorthanded, lost two guys to injury in the middle of the game. And we have no idea how close they were to actually being down to just five guys along the offensive line. At the end of the night, they either had the five guys that were out there were their only scholarship offensive linemen left, yeah, or uh, they were down to one guy being able to rotate in off the bench if somebody else had gotten hurt. Um, Tackling in space, as I mentioned, little suspect. That's an area that they've got to get better at. Um, Somehow, going back and looking at the pro football focus stats from the game, they only had them missing three tackles. I don't know how that's possible. I saw a a lot more than that. Um, Really early on, I thought as the game went along, they settled in and started tackling a lot better. Um, They struggled to get off the field on third and fourth down. Um and that pretty much leads us into the biggest concern. And this is one that I think is a legitimate concern heading into this coming week. And there are a lot of people that are going to probably that that I've seen already trying to fight this notion on social media. There is reason to be concerned about this secondary. Um you lose Tony Grimes first drive of the game, actually third offensive play of the game. You lose him to uh, they, they list it as an upper body injury. Most people probably look at it, um, and again, it's it, we're not ones to speculate, but I would be shocked if it wasn't a concussion that he suffered. Um, they lose him for the entirety of the game, and it was very obvious the rest of the game. Dante Balfour takes over for him out there on the outside, um, and look, they didn't go after him immediately. They focused on Storm Duck early on in the game. A lot of passes, a lot of quick passes early on um, to get the ball out in that right flat and try to make Storm Duck and the other guys on that right side come up and tackle. And Carolina didn't do it consistently enough. And that's something that I think you've got to be concerned with. But then even as the game wore along, you saw Jeremy Musa become more and more comfortable in that pocket. And he started going down the field more. The problem was it he had a couple throws where he just laid really good passes in there. But there were some throws that guys were simply wide open. And I know they may have been in zone defense, but here's the problem. If you're playing the right style of zone defense, your spacing should be good enough to where you're not giving up as many yards after the catch as you did. You're not making it as easy for these guys to make plays on the football. I That is the one unit that I am legitimately concerned about. You might be concerned about that defensive line, though, too, as well.
1: Yeah, because that was just a—I'll call it like I see it. It was pathetic. There was no excuse for that defensive line to not dominate and and really impact the game. And I think the biggest thing is that we want this defense to be improved. We think it's going to be improved. But the level of improvement really depends on what that defensive line does, and if we get eleven more weeks of what we saw on Saturday, you're gonna see a you know pretty much what you've seen the last couple of years, which is a defense fail you week in, week out. We do have to remember that Gene Shizik is more of a bend don't break type of guy. That 2015 defense gave up a lot of yards; they just they just didn't give up points. And they forced some turnovers, something that you know Carolina forced one before halftime, and that really kind of just you know reestablished you know, a you know two possession lead, and it really effectively ended the game in a lot but of different ways. Both turnovers were were huge, right there. So like if they're gonna do that, that that's cool. But um, there's there's just no excuse for the, the. I mean, I'm not gonna say it was a lack of effort. It was just. They, they didn't impact the game the way they should have impacted the game against an FCS opponent that at one point was down to five offensive linemen. And it, it's it was really discouraging. And I don't know if that's more to be said about Tim Cross and his ability to get his guys ready to go on game night or if it's just the fact that maybe our defensive line, no matter what that star rating says, this isn't very good. I don't know. Um, but it's something that, you know, you've got to figure out in some form or fashion because as well as Power Echols was blitzing as a linebacker, and Lord knows he caused a lot of havoc, and it's a good thing to have that type of guy. If you got to do that all season long, like you had to do a few years ago with Chas Surratt, blitzing and and stuff like that, your defense is going to get exposed. As for the secondary, um, it was really discouraging to see them go after Storm Duck, um, where they were attacking him. He did get the interception, which really made up for it. Um, and maybe that's just a guy working his himself back into actually playing, because the last you know two years he's had a really hard time being on the football field. Um, Tony Grimes' injury, if, if 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 it's significant of some form or fashion, that's a real bummer. I thought another thing they did really well. That that kind of just left me uneasy. Was I thought in in the first half we were on our toes the, the whole the whole the whole half. They tempoed us and they dictated what they wanted to do more often than than you would like to see from an FCS opponent. But again, this is a f- coordinator getting back into it for the first time since he left Carolina 2016. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's been a while since he's called a game. It's new guys adjust to a scheme and stuff like that, but. Um, you know, I, I think we all thought entering the season the defense was going to be ahead of the offense, and I think we leave Saturday knowing that's not the case. This offense, as young as it is, as inexperienced as it is in a lot of different positions, it's still ahead of this defense, and I don't know exactly how we're supposed to feel about that.
0: Well, I think part of it is that you should feel really encouraged that there are a lot of guys on this offense that are probably going to be pretty damn good. Um you you look at the guys that were big-time contributors for this team, you're talking about Drake May, redshirt freshman. Yeah, Omari and Hampton, true freshman. George Petaway, true freshman. Uh, Bryson Nesbitt, true sophomore. Gavin Blackwell, redshirt freshman. So, I mean, a lot a of sophomore. these guys... I, I don't like true sophomore. True well, freshman
1: but, sounds but, cool. But,
0: no, but what Let's, I'm saying call is... call him a sophomore. The reason that I'm saying... Fine, second-year sophomore then. Because what it is is... You, He's a guy that played last year. He didn't. He didn't redshirt a year ago because there's a difference between a a second year sophomore player and a third year sophomore player. A guy you, that's been in the system don't for three say. years. Well, I mean, clearly you didn't know that. So you no, know, yes, <laughs> you had to point it out. But no, I will say true sophomore, and you can just deal with it. But <laughs> I, I true, true junior, true senior. I mean, yeah, those are legitimate things. <laughs> Tony Grimes, true junior. That's the I mean it it's it's the facts. Um you know in terms of the defensive line the there, one thing that I do want to say is you've got to give a lot of credit to Florida and M. I thought their their game plan right out of the gate was really outstanding. They pretty much said, "Look, we're going to snap the ball and we're going to get the ball out as quick as possible to guys in the flat." quick outs, whatever, we're going to make you tackle us on the edges. And I don't think there was really much that the defensive line could do for the majority of that first quarter because that was pretty much their offense was get the ball out quick and then run that tempo like you were talking about. And I think, yeah, that that kind of just surprised Carolina. Now the thing is, is a lot of people when you talk about the secondary A lot of people were saying, look, Carolina was playing a lot of zone defense, a lot of off coverage. I I do think that was part of it, but here's my thing. I don't understand why there wasn't then an adjustment as the game went along, and it looked like, uh, to me, there were some times where Dante Balfour was in one-on-one coverage and got got hit for a big game. Mm-hmm. Um there were a couple of times that Storm Duck got thrown at in one on one coverage. I there were there were times it looked like this team was in man defense or if they weren't, these guys were in position to be able to make some plays and they still didn't make those plays. So I, I don't know. I'm not look, I'm not saying that this defense is going to be as bad as they were last year. There were some people during the game, including myself, who probably thought that and said, hmm, okay, this is this is looking pretty bad. Um, but I thought, one, the group looked a lot better in the second half. You saw some guys start to get after the quarterback. Um, Kamen Rucker, I thought, you know, as the game stepped up and as he received more reps, because he didn't play a lot early, but once he started seeing more reps, I thought he did a pretty good job of getting after the quarterback. Um, But we're going to have to see. Uh, I think this weekend will be very, very big for that defensive line unit because it's not one of those things where you can let that unit settle in. How long are you going to take to settle in? We need This is a huge game. They need to be able to step up and get after the quarterback. They need to be able to control that line of scrimmage from the word go against an App State team that is going to want to run the ball down your throat. Yeah, 56 yards against Florida A&M was great. App State is going to be much more committed to the run. And we're going to find out how good this defensive line is. Can they get that push up front? Now, one thing that I will credit this staff with, and we talked about this last week, was would this staff live up to what they've told us, that they will rotate guys when guys are not playing well? And they did. You saw throughout the night they kept trying to rotate different guys in, at linebacker in the secondary, even in that defensive front, to try to find some solution to start slowing these guys down. And I think, you know, for, for, the, for the most part, you started to see some guys that stepped up. And I think it shows that, look, if guys are not playing well, this staff is going to try to find other guys that can step up. The problem is, is that, unfortunately, that is probably going to come with a little bit of trial and error and with a team like App State next weekend on the schedule, you kind of need these veteran guys that you were counting on to really live up to the billing, not have to rotate these other guys in.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, it's something that we've been asking them to do more frequently is is put the youngins on the field and, and let them go play and let them play off their instincts and stuff like that. I mean, look, sometimes it works. Sometimes, yeah, you you, you do get beat. You do get burnt. You know, something like that. But there's no reason to accept mediocrity or accept just average play because that's not what we're here for. Um, and I do think that this is the best situation they've been in to where they could take someone off the field and the drop-off w- would not be significant. When they got here, yeah. that was the case where they literally could not because there was just that little bit of talent that existed on side of the ball. It's not the case anymore. You've recruited the defensive side of the ball. You've done a really good job recruiting the defensive side of the ball. So even though there's guys that are starters and stuff like that, yeah, if they ain't playing well, get, get them off the field. Um, and I think it's something that as long as they stay relatively healthy, I do think that won't be an issue because that is something Gene Chiswick is very vocal about and Mac Brown's been very vocal about. And you've got Charlton Warren. They've, they've, you've got dudes that have done it at a high level. And look – the guys that play with the big boys, like all those guys have been in the past. If you play bad, you just don't stay on the field. They put somebody else in, and you take. Yeah, and so that sometimes that's what it takes. And um, I, I thought the team responded well, and we'll see what they do this weekend because there's going to be a situation or two where a guy or two is playing bad. Do you trust that young, inexperienced guy off the to come off the bench and make a play?
0: And I mean, look, they went to some of those guys early. I, I was surprised at how early they went to Marcus Allen, but Marcus Allen held his own and is a guy that look, if they gotta go back to him, go back to him. If Dante Balfour struggles that much again, hey, throw him back out there and, and let's see what happens. Let's see if Marcus Allen can do any better. And that's the mentality with the depth that you have, as you mentioned, that you want to see. Now with the now with the defensive backs. It's extremely concerning that the position that we've had so many injury issues at the last few years already has. It's it's maybe its best player overall out in Tony Grimes.
1: Mm-hmm. Jaquarius
0: Conley still recovering from injury, and we didn't get to see Legend Kavassos, who is hurt. Hopefully, he can return this weekend against App State and try to help that corner group out, considering that. Most people thought he was going to be the starter opposite of Tony Grimes for most of the fall before he got hurt. So uh, that that's the one thing that that is concerning for me is that secondary overall. Really quickly though, let's talk a little bit about the two guys that I thought played really well defensively and deserved to be talked about because we you know we we have talked about how this group struggled for the most part. Man, Power Echols looked fantastic from the word go. And I thought really from that second quarter on, after he made that huge hit in the backfield on one of the Florida A&M running backs, I thought DeAndre Boykins looked outstanding. I thought both of those guys had tremendous nights. And if you're looking for guys that should have you feeling encouraged about this defense, that's where you should start.
1: Yeah, um, Power Echols. I'm glad he proved me right for all the, the talking up I've done about him leading up to the season. Um, Gene Shizik is going to use him a lot in blitz situations and stuff like that. More power to him when it comes to doing oh such a God. thing.
0: Here we go. All year. Yep. <laughs> Mark that down with tight ends. Every edition of the podcast, <laughs> that will be in there.
1: And then, you know, as for DeAndre Boykins, a guy that also stepped up and made plays. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing about This defense under Gene Chizik, the the biggest issue with Jay Bateman was that our guys were Uh, not in position to make plays. Here we go. Like that was ultimately the biggest issue. Yeah, yeah. That that's not. I don't think that's going to be the issue with Gene Chizik. I think it's going to be. I'm going to put you in the position to make the plays, and it's either you're good enough or you're not to make them. That's that's what he did in 15. Mm -hmm. That's what he did in 16, and for the majority of the time. Our guys were good enough to make plays, and that's why we won 19 games in two years, and we thought under Larry Fedora we were going in the right direction. Then all hell broke loose on a Thursday in Durham, and you, you effectively lost your program. He's going to do the same thing again. Now, I know Saturday night wasn't the most encouraging thing, but I do think by Notre Dame you will have a pretty good, sound idea of what this defense is going to do, what it's going to look like, and stuff like that. And I think we learned the other night that Power Eccles and DeAndre Boykins, those are guys that are up to the task to be put in position to make plays. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's what I think. Yeah. Um and, and and so we'll just have to see if the other guys are 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 going to be able to do such a thing because that's really all it is. It's 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 about executing the game plan. He's going to put together a good game plan. He's going to make in-game adjustments. He's going to do all those things that Jay Bateman just didn't do. It's about the players making plays, and if 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 they make plays, the defense within it with you know some life out of that defensive line can be what we need it to be. We don't need it to be great. We don't need it to be. We'd love for it to be great. We'd love for it to be a top twenty-five defense. Yeah, please, please be great. But that'd be nice if they're average enough. And they're you know they're, they're they're just an average defense. I think the offense showed that they're gonna they're gonna do it, its job. It'll be a fun season for 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 Tar Heel football fans, and that's really all we're asking for is just have some fun and win some games while you're at it. Yeah, Eccles was flying
0: around all night. Ten total tackles led the team, nine of which were registered as solo tackles. So a guy that is just as sure-handed as it gets, well, when maybe it he doesn't a need Ra
1: Ra They can just do it all
0: by himself. I mean, look, Ra I thought showed some good things too. I thought. I and mean, he got he got Musa up in the head, but I didn't see anything egregious. I thought he did a good job of getting pressure on him on that play. That was that was the one play that they really highlighted him. But I thought, you know, he he did some good things. He didn't look out of place. He didn't look like a guy that was out of position and didn't know where he was supposed to be. I thought honestly, I thought he was better than Cedric Gray. I thought Cedric Gray struggled, missed some tackles. There were some obvious plays that he could have made. Um he got blown up on the one touchdown run from uh, I think it was Jennings, their running back, or it may have been their, their, their other running back uh, that found the end zone, just got blown up straight off the line of scrimmage. That was one that was a little concerned. It was McLeod, that's right. Ran over him and a defensive lineman as well. Um, but I I thought for the most part, that was probably the most consistent unit, just like they were last year, were those linebackers. Um, and then Boinkins, I mean, it, look, with him – you know, he, I don't think he blew anybody away. Four uh, total tackles, the tackle for loss, but he recovered the fumble. The The best part about that was it was forced by Power Eccles, recovered by DeAndre Boykins, only fitting that those two guys combined on that play. The best thing about him, though, was I think the area that a lot of people had questions about with Boykins was how would he do in coverage. He was targeted four times in the game. He allowed one catch for no yards. mm he he looked good. He looked really good. So those are the air. Those are the guys that you should be encouraged about. And there, look, there are going to be other guys that are going to stand out this next coming weekend, hopefully. Um, but I think those two guys are guys you should feel comfortable with moving forward. And I got to tell you, there were some rumors coming out of fall camp that they could move Storm Duck into the nickel spot. If DeAndre Boykins is going to play like that, I don't want to see Storm Duck anywhere near that nickel spot because. <laughs> I thought DeAndre Boykins played so damn well out of that spot. You don't need anybody else there. So we'll see uh, what Carolina does there. Uh, And That is our look back at the game against Florida A&M. We're going to take a quick break here, uh, and then when we come back, we're going to update you on the injury status of two key players. One of them that we've already mentioned, and another guy that we actually did not talk about, but that had a Really, really solid night for Carolina. Uh, Two key guys. will update their injury status and also tell you a little bit about a guy that Carolina just landed a commitment from as we've been recording this podcast. Stick around with us right here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast.
1: Back right after this. Hey, everybody. Josh here from Heel Tough Blog. Head to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Check out all of our FAMU coverage. We got the recap, the stock report, Ashton's analysis is up. The trench report will be there. Find that and more Tar Heel football and basketball articles. That's HeelToughBlog.com. The
0: wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action for opening night? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up 7, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by 7 points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcasts, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter at HeelToughBlog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the HeelToughBlog, at HTBAnthony for Anthony Pagnotta, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at HackZubber2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey, guys. Welcome back in HeelToughBlog podcast. Anthony Pagnotta, Josh Marlowe alongside of you here. And we have to update you, as we mentioned, on the status of two big-time star players for Carolina, arguably maybe the two most talented players on both sides of the ball for Carolina. And uh, we mentioned Tony Grimes got hurt in the first quarter the other night against Florida A&M, did not return, um, did you know run himself back to the locker room, which was a good sign. He didn't need the cart. Um, but... It is listed as an upper body injury. Most people believe that helmet-to-helmet contact, it was probably a concussion. Um, His status will be updated as the week goes along. Uh, As you would expect, the staff kind of keeping everything under wraps here. Um, even, Even with the upper body injury, very, very general about what the injury was. As for Josh Downs, Not quite as secretive as to what his injury was after, by the way, a tremendous performance. I think we've just become so accustomed to Josh Downs from last year being so great. He only had nine catches, 78 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, not not a bad start to the year for him Um, and made a couple of really nice grabs. Um, But he, on the second touchdown grab, that 27-yarder down the middle of the field after that fumble recovery from DeAndre Boykin's uh, he gets landed on. It looks like it is his right knee that gets uh, landed on. And uh, apparently, according to Adam Smith, uh, the new writer over there at Inside Carolina, they got a tremendous one coming over from uh, the Burlington News, whatever. I forget what the actual phrasing of that newspaper is. Um, but he did report that they uh, he did see Josh Downs after the game with an ice bag on that right knee and uh, did say that he you know, talked to Josh Downs afterwards and Downs basically said, I'll be fine. Um, I, I wrote an article earlier today that the official quote is actually in there um, that he said in the press conference, but it looks like he thinks that he is going to be able to play. Now, Michael Coe, uh, who is of WCHL uh, in Chapel Hill, he was at the press conference earlier today for Mac Brown uh, and the coordinators. He, while walking out, of the press conference said that he saw Josh Downs. There was no ice bag on the knee, but he was limping a little bit. So uh, the status for him as the university released earlier today is that they are going to monitor him. Pretty much he is going to be questionable heading into Saturday's game. Needless to say, buddy, this this is a big deal, both of these guys for Carolina to have out there on Saturday, I think, first, if, if they do not have Josh Downs out there on Saturday, that would be a massive blow.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that um, if, if, if either one of those two guys are not able to go, it does it does lessen the likelihood that Carolina wins. If both are no-goes on Saturday, um, we're going to really, and, and Carolina wins, that's going to really be a testament to what this team is about. Um, and, look, I know there might be some people complaining about Josh Downs still being on the field when he got hurt, it was a it was an eighteen
0: point game. It at was that a, time. it
1: was an eighteen point game, but I, I do feel like Carolina just wanted to go ahead and just effectively end it and just and just take away all hope right from, from the Radlers, and it was just unfortunate. Also, that was the best throw Drake May made all night. It was a, it was a beautiful dime to him for for that touchdown. As for Tony Grimes, I mean it, um, it you know we're going to really if he can't go you'll you'll learn a about how deep this secondary really is and and what what you got to do behind him um because he him being on the field and being on the field and not being on the field there's there's a massive difference yep and and you could just you could tell that when he when he left the stadium the other night and and, and the way that uh f you know f famu was able to go after them so um hopefully they can have one at least, you know. Hopefully, they can have Josh Downs on the offensive side of the ball. I don't. I don't I'm not going to bank on seeing Tony Grimes mm-hmm. this weekend. But um, if, if, if if Josh Downs cannot go, you're you're going to learn a really a lot about well, who, Drake May a, who Drake May is as a quarterback, and you know what the receiving core has to offer because you'll need multiple guys to step up to replace his production in that absence.
0: Yeah, you're going to see in that case, I would assume you're going to see a lot of Kobe Paceauer and probably even the true freshman Doc Chapman would play a pretty decent amount, and uh, we'll, we'll see. But hopefully that is not a situation. I Knowing Josh Downs and what we've seen from him in the last few years, you would imagine that if he has any chance of playing, he's going to try to give it a go. Um, but we, we will have to see. With Grimes, I, I'm kind of where you're at, especially if it's a concussion. Man, those things are hard to shake off. Um, it, it really is. It's it, you got to go through so many different steps to get out of the protocol. So I think, at least in my mind... Carolina needs to be preparing for the situation where they do not have him.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but we'll see. There's still, you know, again, we're only at, we're, we're only sitting here on Monday. Um, and again, the speculation it's it's only speculation with Grimes. It could be something else. Um, but you know, hopefully. We're, we're, we're hoping it's not something serious, and the fact that he is at least questionable and they have not ruled him out is a good sign uh, for Carolina. But uh, we'll monitor those storylines moving forward. Later on tonight, there will be an article up uh, on the website. It uh, should be up for you guys that are listening to the podcast when it gets up. It will be a recruitment, uh, or a, a recruitment article, a breakdown of the commitment of 2023 four-star linebacker Kavion Keys out of the state of Virginia. And that's right, third straight commitment for Carolina out of the state of Virginia. And it is their 13th commitment from the state in the last two years. So Carolina has done an unbelievable job of recruiting the state of Virginia, uh, really, since Mac Brown got back. But especially these last two years, they have just, I mean, they have made a huge charge in that state, primarily in that 757 area. But Man, they have done a tremendous job throughout the entire state to land some of their biggest prospects and they do it once again. Uh, now he is a guy that some have rumored is still going to take a visit to Texas A&M later on in the year uh, during, during sometime during the fall because he was just recently offered by them. So that's something that's Probably going to keep Carolina fans a little bit hesitant to get overly excited about his commitment. But man, if they get this guy, this is a really good fit. Carolina's got two guys that right now are the definition of inside linebackers in this class guys that will play the Mike linebacker position in Caleb Lavallee and Amari Campbell, guys that hit hard, that like to play the run. This is a guy that you know is a sideline to sideline linebacker can drop back into coverage extremely athletic so it would really round out this linebacker class and help out a unit that right now is a position of need. Carolina's depth at the linebacker position is rather thin. Really good talent, but they are lacking some depth there. So Carolina wants to be able uh to not only, you know, land these guys, but keep these guys. And with Keys, that's one that they're going to probably have to work on moving forward if they want to hold on uh, to his commitment. But we'll have that article up on the website there for you guys to read. So make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out on that. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Josh for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, Go target.